we've now started to reach out to partners because the real innovation, I would say, with the accelerators is we're, we're recognizing the absolute importance of having strong, enduring partnerships which help us as the sort of technology experts meet the needs of the users. Hey, Space Watchers, this is Space Cafe Radio, your channel about trends, great people and awesome events. During the Global Space Conference on Climate Change in Oslo in May 2023, I spoke with Dr. Graham Turner, Special Advisor at the European Space Agency ESA, about the status of the Accelerator Program. The GLOCK Conference was co-organized by the IEF, the International Astronautical Federation and the Norwegian Space Agency, who has done an outstanding work on that. I'm Thorsten, publisher of Spacewatch.global. Enjoy our conversation. Graeme, thank you very much for giving me your prestige time here during the GLOCK 2023 in Oslo. You must have a very, very busy first day as many of us here running around, seeing all these high-level panels. How does it feel so far? So it feels great so far. So I'm here for just one day, so it is necessarily very compact. I've been really impressed, as we were just saying before we started, with the whole organization, some very good speaker platforms, a fantastic performance by Asami Singer, which really got us thinking about the environment, I would say, from a very visceral point of view, which I think is absolutely critical when we're addressing issues of the sort that we are today. She got 12 points from Germany. So, <laughs> so, so I'm still Me too. In, Me too. <laughs> I'm still in the ESC mood, even so it turned out not very well for Germany again. Well, but only very slightly better for Britain, I'm afraid. Good. Let's talk about the accelerators you're having as a focus in your work. I mean, we have done it in a space cafe almost a year ago when it was very fresh and started. So what has changed since then and how did the accelerators develop in general? Yeah, so a year ago, it was really the very start of the work on the accelerators. We'd had the review of the high-level advisory group, which proposed the accelerators, and we'd had the meeting of ministers at Matosinhos in Portugal. So ESA's council ministers supported work on the accelerators. Three accelerators, Space Green Future, Protect, and uh, Rapid and Resilient Crisis Response, really aiming to focus a space's effort on you know, the most immediate and significant challenges that face us globally. Really all to do with sustainability, sustainability in terms of climate change on Earth, sustainability in the use of space resources with the growing challenges of debris, many more spacecraft in orbit, and obviously the ever-present but growing in impact threat of space weather. So yeah, we just started, we just had that report. Joseph Ashbacker had asked me to take the lead in coordinating the work across ESA. At that stage, I had nobody working with me. I'm delighted to say I've really got a great team now in place, including one of your former colleagues who's joined us as a young graduate trainee. And we've also got a really good leadership within the three relevant directorates. So that's the Telecoms Directorate on the Crisis Response Work, the Earth Observation Directorate on Space for Green Future, the climate change aspect, and our friends in ops leading the work on the protection of space assets. So it really started to move forward. We've had a lot of support from the Council of Ministers at the three-yearly ESA funding council that took place in Paris in November, where they agreed to fund a number of programs, which we're calling seed programs. And we've now started to reach out to partners because the real innovation, I would say, with the accelerators is 
we're, we're recognizing the absolute importance of having strong, enduring partnerships, which help us as the sort of technology experts meet the needs of the users. So really what we want to do is work with partners that really understand a particular user segment, you know, be that vertical or horizontal. So whether it's transport or cities, whether it's crisis response or whether it's greening the energy sector. And we can't do it on our own. We need to work with partners. I mean, this is what you hear everywhere nowadays. It's all about partnerships. But when you say partners, what are these partners? Who are these yeah. partners? What profile is that? Because a partner is very abstract. Yeah, exactly. So, so I mean, we... Let's talk facts. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I'll just still start off with a little bit of abstract, which is that, first of all, we said, well, okay, well, what would be the kind of qualities we look for in partners? So, first of all, they need to really understand their sector, be it horizontal or vertical. Secondly, they need to have a lot of legitimacy in that sector. Thirdly, they need to have capability, the ability to work with us as partners. Journalists would be great, but are they interested in actually achieving change or are they there to monitor it? So what is their role in the sector? And then finally, you know, do they want to work with us? So we looked for those sort of four characteristics. And then we've gone out and supported by friends at the European Space Policy Institute. We've done a mapping of a wide range of possible partners, categorizing them according to whether they're policy partners, whether they're potential funders, whether they might be regulators, whether they're in some sense representatives of industrial users, and then try to look at those that would be most promising. So, for example, you wouldn't be surprised, but some of the European Union institutions come out very strongly there, like DG Echo. It's very focused on humanitarian aid overseas, and there's a very strong um, read across to our work on rapid and resilient crisis response. Equally, DG Klima is focused on achieving the green transition. So, naturally a very strong read across to our work on climate change and space of green future. Or if you're thinking about protection of space assets, clearly the space industry itself scores very highly. And the first people we'd naturally want to talk to would be the large-scale in integrators, you know, the Airbuses, the Tazers, the OHBs, who have that interest. What status are you in that? So are these partners, you just mentioned a few names, are signed up? agreed on whatever the mechanism is already or are these on the list to be i've given those names as sort of examples mm -hmm. um yeah i don't want to comment at this stage precisely as to who we are talking to or the or the stage of discussion that we've reached with them but what i'm saying is it would be no surprise to anybody to hear that these are the sorts of people that came out of that analysis there's then a stage of sort of practicality who have we got existing strong relationships with obviously we need to do that on an equitable basis an element of going for quick wins first so at this stage we're just looking to have initial discussions with some of the most promising potential partners and then our aim is to have a report to our council of ministers at the proposed space summit in seville in november so the names I mentioned, I don't want to say whether we are having discussions with them or not. I'm not trying to be too secretive. You are in the process of signing them up, so they are not there yet? When I say signing up, this needs to be a joint endeavour. So it's not like we've got a sort of 39 articles for historians of the Church of England where you have to sign at the bottom and then you're in the club. We want to have reach a mutual understanding as to shared interest and, and then establish how we can work together. But I mean, our model for working together is the one I've described, where we do the technology development. They inform that and then we're looking to them to help then scale that up to widespread implementation. 
What's in for the partners in that case? Because these partners will come more or less, what I understood, from the space industry. So they have an engagement potentially with ESA already, are part of one or the other ESA program funding. So what's in here now? So if I can correct that impression, if I've given it wrongly, I would say that's true for the Protect Accelerator. It's not true for the other two accelerators. The other two accelerators, we're really looking for partners that are primarily interested in the green transition on the one hand and then supporting resilient management of crisis situations and indeed the reduction of risk from and the reduction of vulnerability to potential crisis events on the other. So we're talking about, as I say, international development organisations, European green transition organizations and um, we're talking about networks of cities because cities are particularly vulnerable to flooding and flooding has only become unfortunately more of a fact of life with increased climate instability so these are very much not by and large the kind of partners that we've traditionally spoken to in the past which is again why the accelerators is quite an innovative way of doing things coming back to the question so what's in for them what's in yeah. for the partners so we can help them achieve their objectives so you know typically partners who are interested in reducing the vulnerability of countries that are developing to natural disasters because obviously a natural disaster like a flood or an earthquake or fires can be hugely damaging to their development. So a lot of the international development organizations are focused on trying to create a more stable environment, both natural and man-made, for countries to develop in. And are very, very focused on things, you know, reducing the potential damage from major flooding incidents. So we, space can help achieve that. Space is perfectly placed to help address and reduce the impact of flooding, for example. Is there foreseen in our exchange of money for services versus knowledge versus use case versus... I mean, at this stage, we'd rather keep things simple if we can and not have exchanges finances. But I mean, you know, in the longer term, there's all sorts of models available. I mean, ESA works with a range of different partners in a number of different ways. And that can involve exchange of finances. We've worked for a number of member states bilaterally where we effectively act as their program manager, and we've done that for the European Commission as well. But this is not primarily about bringing money into ESA. This is about really leveraging the work that ESA is doing already to have greater impact. Okay, got it. We are here at the GLOC, the Global Space Conference on Climate Change. And the focus is obviously on climate change. What are the accelerators doing in this regard? I think it's fairly well understood that space, if, let's start off with what space is doing and then what the accelerators are doing. So I think it's fairly well established that space is absolutely central to climate monitoring. As has been said many times, a little over half of the central climate variables can only be measured effectively from space. Space has the benefit of creating these very reliable long time series of critical variables that then allow us to really monitor climate change, which, as we all know, is a difficult thing to do. It's only made more difficult if you don't have accurate data and reliable time series data to start with. So clearly space has been you know, really fundamental to the monitoring of climate change. I mean, going forward, we're going to have to handle climate change as a fact of life. You know, 1.5 degrees increase is clearly going to be exceeded and almost certainly well over two degrees, which is obviously what was the hope of the Paris Agreement was that we would stay below two degrees. So we are going to have to deal with hotter climates and climates that are fundamentally more unstable and situations where some parts of the globe increase in temperature by considerably more than two degrees. 
The question then becomes, what can space do to help manage, mitigate and adapt to climate change? One of the examples I've just given is that there's likely going to be a much higher instance of climate instability going forward. We've seen that already. We saw that with the floods in Italy recently. And as I was hinting earlier, I mean, space is incredible well, well placed to help with monitoring, uh, predicting and then preventing flooding. For example, synthetic aperture radar which is really a fancy name for just sort of bouncing some radio waves off the surface of the Earth and receiving them back on a spacecraft, can tell you very, very precisely what the level of water is in any body of water on the Earth. So when you get flooding, you can use radar to measure the depth of that flooding and the height that the flood water has, has reached. We've now got companies like ISI, I'll give for an example, who are putting out, thanks to lower cost of satellites, lower cost of launch, they're putting out significant constellations of satellites that can enable monitoring now of flooding to take place you know, once every three hours. And that's a huge game changer, which can enable you know, much more active real-time monitoring and forecasting of flood impacts. If you take that and then build in models of cities such that you can properly estimate the impact of particular levels of flooding or particular rates of increase of flooding over time, you've then got a very dynamic tool that enables cities to prevent and react in real time to instances which could be incredibly damaging. I mean, floods calculated to have cost the world's economy something like $100 billion in recent years and obviously major human misery and impact on the environment. So space is potentially a very, very strong tool here. One of the initiatives projects uh, space for a green future and it's potentially also part in the wider area of the accelerators can you give me some concrete elements of that yeah certainly one thing that we're doing under space for green future is as i mentioned earlier we're creating task forces around particular sort of vertical and horizontal segments say so by vertical i'm sort of talking about segments of the economy and horizontal i'm talking about cut throughs of the economy like cities or regions so let's take one example, which is the task force that's been created recently on energy. What we've done there is develop a partnership with a series of partners who are very much focused around energy management and distribution. So, for example, we've got the European distribution system operators who represent about 41 electricity distribution system operators across Europe. We've got some people called the Electric Power Research Institute, who are an NGO that are focused on um, improving the way in which electricity is managed. We've got somebody called, or an organisation called the Aberdeen Renewable Energy Group, who's got 250 members, obviously, as the name suggests, based around renewable energy. With those partners, we're starting to identify some topics where we think space could play a role. So this is first of my three stages where we identify potential use cases. So we're looking at things like decommissioning, of power stations and transmission systems. You know, how do we do that in an environmentally friendly way? We're looking at decarbonisation of the energy production sector. We're looking at the management of energy assets. I and mean, as we all know, we can much, much more efficiently manage assets such as transmission cables and increase their efficiency if we monitor them effectively. And so satellites can do things like see where overhead cables are operating effectively and where perhaps they're not, and there's heating occurring and energy loss, and the system is running inefficiently just by picking up those, those changes that can be detected from space. 
So yeah, working with that form where I identify use cases and then starting to move forward to saying, well, what kind of projects could we run to demonstrate solutions against those use cases? We have this year, end of this year, COP28 on the horizon and potentially another very hot summer in front of us. What are your next milestones for the accelerators? I think that COP28 will be a significant milestone and you want to have something delivered there. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, ahead of COP28, we have a big event planned in Seville in early November, which will bring together the councils of the European Space Agency and the European Union for what we're calling a space summit. And at that space summit, we're very much hoping there will be a very strong focus on sustainability. And this will be an opportunity to report back to the member states on the progress that we've made since they mandated my boss, Joseph Ashbacker, to take forward this work on the accelerators, but also ask for their further support and encouragement to their national stakeholders to engage with this work going forward. That will be an important event. We need to consult with them in advance as to what kind of statements they might want to make in policy terms. I mean, ESA isn't primarily a policy organization, but of course the European Union is. And this is a great opportunity to bring policy and technology together and really try and forge a shared vision as to how we want to take work forward on sustainability and the use of space to achieve sustainable goals. Thank you very much for your time. Graham, it was a pleasure as always talking to you. And we are curious to see what the next steps will be and how they will look like. And we'll follow you then to Sevilla or to Dubai. Thank you very much, Torsten. And uh, perhaps we should go and get a coffee now, as this is the Space Cafe. Absolutely. Thanks. If you have further questions, reach out to us at radio at spacewatch.global. If you like these or other episodes of Space Cafe Radio, leave us a rating on your preferred podcast platform. It is the currency of today. And if you want to stay on the pulse of the space industry, please visit our website at www.spacewatch.global and subscribe to our newsletters. And of course, don't forget to become a Space Watcher. I'm Torsten Kreening, publisher at spacewatch.global, your independent perspective on space. Music